us women have the knowledge to empower ourselves to make decisions about our own bodies so that at least the decisions that we make are uh, are coming from knowledge this is the freestyle way Monica Bion thank you for being here and joining me today thank you for inviting me i'm excited yeah. to be here yeah of course uh do you remember when we met what year i was trying to figure that out in when i was in the car today i I think it might have been 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you came to San Francisco and uh, we did a session with you and your husband uh, at Acro Sports. And That's it was, right. It was very cool. And and ever since we've we've been connected and we've had a, a little ritual where every time I've been in Sweden, you and I have met up for coffee, and that's been very nice. So thank you for the years of friendship. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. The, the years are running past. I can't believe it's been that long. I know. It's uh, it's definitely over a decade now, which is insane. But a lot has happened um, in the last decade. A lot of evolutions uh, have occurred within fitness, uh, within health, uh, within your life, my life. And I, I today wanted to, uh, one, just connect with you again because I like talking to you, and two, dive into... Um, an inflection point that you gone through. And I think when we uh, met last, um, maybe not, yeah, I, I can't remember when it was, but we were sitting at the coffee shop and you said, you know what, uh, I'm starting to write this uh, book about menopause. And I was like, huh, interesting. Tell me more. And and now that book is out plus another book. Uh, tell me about that moment. Why menopause? Well, actually I hadn't, really reflected on menopause until I, I ended up there myself, which I think a lot of women can identify with. I mean, in my, in my world, I've been, I've been working as a coach and a trainer in my entire adult life. So, uh, uh, the bulk of the, the people that I meet, uh, are women between 40 and 60. Um, and if, if somebody had asked me about menopause when I was 44, I would probably have said menopause oh my God, that's something that happens to really, really old women. Because I had this vision in my head that menopause was something that happened probably in my head, something between 85 and death, right? Um, so when menopause hit me, well, rather perimenopause hit me in the head around the age of 46, 47, I had no clue. So I was actually perimenopausal for a year and a half until I sort of understood what was happening. I mean, I was lucky in that sense that I'd got hot, hot flushes. Um, majority of women will experience hot flushes, but but uh, there there there's a few women that won't. And I I'm sure that if I hadn't had hot flushes, I would never have understood and um, sort of put the dots together until years after. Um, so when I understood that, all right, could this really be this transition that I've sort of read a little bit about, um, I also understood that I, I knew almost nothing about this, this journey that, that we all, well, all women is going to, uh, go on. And, um, I started to dive deeper. I was looking for books. I was looking for information. Um, and I couldn't really find the type of book that I was looking for, um, a book that could inspire me as a, a woman who saw herself like in the middle of her career, 
who'd been training and been interested in health for her entire adult life. Um, so I sort of decided to write that book myself. And during that year of research, I could then look back at my own health history and see all the signs as they had turned up over that year and a half and, and sort of, oh my God, I was like, all those things that has happened to me. And it was um, everything from noticing that my body didn't answer and respond to training and exercise the way it used to. Um, instead of getting results, my results sort of stopped and I was starting almost moving backwards. Um, I was I went from somebody who had more or less perfect sleep uh, to not being able to sleep. Uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night uh, and not being able to fall asleep again. I'd never been a person um, who who suffered from anxiety, um, and suddenly I, when I woke up in the middle of, of the night, I could have this really heavy weight on my chest, could find it hard to breathe, and. Uh, not that I was having panic attacks during the day, but but I could really start to feel this really uncomfortable feeling um, in my body. Uh, and also my signs were both physical and mental, but to me really the, the most difficult symptoms for me were, were the, the mental ones and the, the psychological ones. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, a lot to unpack. I, I guess if just me thinking about it, I'm like, wow, that's uh, pretty intense. It's, it's, it, it almost feels like, and, and this may come off uh, wrong, but it almost feels like being sick when in reality it's a natural thing that is occurring in the body. Well, absolutely. I mean, there were so many times before I understood that it was hot flashes that I was absolutely sure I was coming down with something. I was like, I've, I've been catching a cold. Maybe I'm coming down with a the flu. There were so many other explanations that I had for these symptoms that I had. And since I've been working more or less full time with with uh, campaigning uh, about trying to get more education out to to women and everybody who works with women since 2018, I've been uh, blessed enough to to be told stories from hundreds, if not thousands, of women who's who's shared who's shared their their stories with me, and um, there's so many women that seeks help, medical help for so many different symptoms. Like they go and check, you know, am I having some kind of uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis uh, because I have joint pain and muscle aches? Um, is there something wrong with my heart? And they go and see a cardiologist because they're starting to get uh, uh, irregular heartbeats. Um, they go and see a dementia specialist because they are scared of, of uh, having early onset of dementia. So there's so many different uh, parts uh, in on this journey. We have to remember not all women get difficult symptoms, but the majority of women will get symptoms. And uh, what the research says today is that between 80 and 95% of women will have symptoms. And um, the research also says that around 30% will have such difficult symptoms that it will affect them at work in and in their relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that number is is um, on the low side. I think that wow. that number is actually quite much higher. Wow. Well, so 
you said when I asked you about menopause, you you said uh, perimenopause. This means that there are some phases or stages to to menopause. Could could you describe what those phases are? What does what does the arc of menopause look like? Absolutely. I'll- the easiest part is to start actually with the word menopause because menopause is actually just a medical term telling you that a woman has been without her menses 12 months in a row. And the average age for the menopausal transition, these 12 months without having having menses, which really tells you that a woman has then reached the final stage of her fertility. And after that, she no longer has to well, depending on how you see it, either she doesn't have to worry about getting pregnant or she has had her last chance of, of getting pregnant. And um, the average age for that is between 51 and 52 years old, depending on which study uh, that you read. Um, but by then, and we have to remember, it's still considered normal to pass menopause when you're 48 as, as it's normal to pass menopause when you're 53, 54 years old. But at that stage, absolute majority of women have already been in the menopausal transition for a number of years. So the stage that's called perimenopause um, in English uh, is really when a woman's menstrual cycle start uh, um, behaving differently. So it could be a difference in the number of days that her menstrual cycle lasts. It could be a difference to her bleeding. Uh, she could bleed more or and heavier, for example. Uh, she can experience more PMS, premenstrual uh, uh, symptoms. Um, so a change to her menstrual cycle. And that's basically because of the, the follicles uh, getting old. So the follicles in the ovaries, which hosts the eggs, are starting to age, uh, which means it's it's more difficult for the body to... to uh, uh, to be able to do a, a functional menstrual cycle uh, or, or, or ovulation is the right word. Um, and that normally starts in a woman's 40s, the perimenopause. And then you have the postmenopausal phase, which is basically after you have made the transition. Um, and, and that is basically after menopause, you are postmenopausal for the rest of your life because it's not as if you're going to wake up uh, at 75 and find yourself pregnant. Uh, so you are postmenopausal uh, for the rest of your life, right? Okay, and so when you first went to the doctor, if I if I remember correctly, they weren't able to tell you that you were uh, menopausal or perimenopausal in that in that case. Um, what happened after that? You, did you just think, okay, I have to now go to all these other specialists, or? Um, how did you figure it out, so to speak? Was it the hot flashes that gave it away? And were you too late at that time? No, what happened was that when I had the hot flashes and uh, I sort of settled with the thought, oh my God, I probably uh, uh, perimenopausal. Then I looked back on my medical history and I had already been um, uh, looking for medical help during that year and a half previously because I had from from absolute nowhere I had um, uh, urinary tract infections I had never had uh, a UVI in my adult life ever and mm-hmm. I had two um, within four months uh, so um, for me um, it went really fast from 
from having that those first signs when you really have to go to the bathroom and pee a lot uh, to actually having blood uh, in my urine and mm. also having a fever. Uh, so I had to go um, seek medical help uh, fairly quickly uh, to get antibiotics. Uh, and that happened then twice in four months. I saw t- two different doctors. Uh, they knew, of course, my age because you have to you know, leave all your um, numbers uh, as you check in. And none of those doctors uh, mentioned that that could be a, a sign of being in, in perimenopause. That, that is quite a common sign even to be in perimenopause. Um, I also had problems with my menstrual cycle. So I went to see my then gynecologist because I went from having a very regular menstrual cycle to skipping um, my menses, which of course, when you're in your fertile years, the first thing you think about, oh, oh my God, am I pregnant? So, I mean, I had two or three pregnancy tests without uh, within uh, 12 to 14 months and we weren't planning to get pregnant. So that was, everybody who's gone through that sort of experience knows uh, that there's quite a, uh, it's quite a nerve wracking sort of experience. Well, I wasn't pregnant. I had my menses and then one day um, I started to bleed and I didn't stop. And um after four weeks, basically my husband tells me, this is not normal. You really have to go and see a gynecologist now because you're also starting, I can see that you're starting to look tired and you must have lost lost so much blood. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, will, I, will book, I will book an appointment. And I went to see my then gynecologist. She was a woman. Um, she retired shortly after. And I'm thinking, you know, how many women has this woman met throughout her career? So I told her, you know, uh, this is this is what I need help with. And during that appointment, she never mentioned that I could be menopausal. Uh, wow. So she said she sent me home with a, a a couple of tablets. She said, take these, and this will stop you bleeding. And that that was it. Uh, and that was also something that really drove me uh, when I was writing my book. I could not believe how is this possible. This is a transition that half the world's population will go through sooner or later. How is it possible that I have met three different doctors? Uh, It's not as if I I, I, uh, uh, seek a lot of doctor's appointments because I'm a healthy person. And when I do, they can't help me. So I was really super frustrated about this. And during my research for the book, uh, it turns out that in in Sweden today, uh, there is no obligatory time spent on training doctors on the menopausal transition. So basically, the only thing that you learn in your medical training is, is that menopause is the transition for a woman to go from her fertile years to not uh, no longer being able to get pregnant. That normally happens when a woman is in her early 50s. That's it. So no wonder I didn't get any help because they don't learn about the symptoms and they certainly don't learn about um, the right type of types of hormonal medication because after 2002, when in actually in the US, when you had a study called the Women's Health Initiative, um, that was... Unfortunately, it was the world's largest study on women, but unfortunately, they completely made a big mess of that study. And basically what happened was, what leaked from the study was that estrogen 
if if you have an estrogen treatment, it can lead to breast cancer or to uh, to uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, and that's what came out of that. And that sort of stopped the hormonal treatments worldwide. And it didn't matter that after that study sort of leaked, there was hundreds of papers coming out. Okay, we were wrong. We were testing it on the uh, on the wrong type of women. These women had, had passed menopause several years before, etc., uh, etc. Et because that meant that the 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 fright that women and doctors felt for using hormonal treatment um, uh, for for women in menopause meant that they just stopped talking about it and they stopped educating about it. So um, in Sweden, the the usage of uh, HRT, hormonal replacement therapy, went from fifty percent amongst women in the menopause to today's six percent. Wow. Wow. Okay. So yeah, this this kind of goes back. Uh, I think it was uh, just in doing some reading. I'm I'm no expert in in menopause, but uh, just in doing some reading. Apparently, in the 70s, that's when they started doing uh, hormone replacement therapy, and they were using estrogen. And what they did notice was that there was a thickening uh, in in different um, uh, tissues, and that would produce cancer. But then they realized that if they uh, also added uh, progesterone progesterone, then it would balance it out and it would work okay. But then there was not enough studies on this. So they did a study. And I think that was the study that you were referring to in 2002, you said? Yeah. Well, 2002, the study had already uh, ran a couple of years. Yeah, they had finished. Right. Yeah. And they also had this uh, theory that estrogen is cardiac protective. So it it protects the the heart because the the numbers showed that until menopause, women tended to have uh, a, a lower rate of cardiac arrests. And after menopause, that number in- increased to the same number as the men, uh, as, uh, uh, the men experienced cardiac arrests. So uh, the study also wanted to test. So if we give women estrogen, can that help to protect women from heart disease? Well, the problem is that the average age of the women included in the study was 63 years old. And remember, so the average age for menopause is at the beginning of the 50s. So afterwards, um, the scientists understood that if you wait for too long, there's a higher risk of the natural aging processes in the body to have happened. Therefore, there's something called the critical window of HRT, of hormone replacement therapy, which is which is considered 10 years within menopause uh, so that the arteries haven't started to harden uh, because of the lack of estrogen. Um, it's also There's also very interesting research on Alzheimer's and dementia, which sort of points in the same direction. If you want to use uh, HRT as a protector of... Uh, from from dementia or or Alzheimer's, uh, the studies are now pointing towards that you should start hormonal replacement therapy when their symptoms are happening. You shouldn't wait for too long afterwards. And this is even when you're perimenopausal. Absolutely, absolutely. So it doesn't really matter if you still have your menses or not. If you have the symptoms, you treat the symptoms. 
uh, because a lot of women uh, then ask, well, how can I test if I'm perimenopausal? And this is the this is the tough part. You can't really test if you're there. First of all, you have no idea what your individual numbers are during your fertile years, and that's highly individual. And and secondly, when you take a blood test, you get a specific sample of your hormonal levels in that very moment that you take the blood sample. Now, your hormonal levels can change within hours and absolutely within days. So this being, means that, and especially when you're perimenopausal, because basically what you're entering then is total hormonal chaos. And the first uh, sex hormone to drop early in perimenopause is not estrogen, it's progesterone. Uh, and that's because you don't ovulate in the way that you need to do to produce the right amount of progesterone. And at that stage, your body will still be able to produce estrogen. So if you test the estrogen, that will be within range. Uh, and progesterone, it, it's absolutely depending on where in your menstrual cycle you are. And remember, what is the first? what are the first signs that you're perimenopausal? is that your menstrual cycle gets completely out of whack. So it's really difficult, not to say impossible, to test. And what a lot of clinics then do, because this is big business, is that they say, no, it's impossible to test you with one test. We need to take three or five tests. And then they charge quite a lot of money for each test. Um, so what a lot of the um, OB... Uh, OBGYN, OBGYN. Yeah, yeah. OBGYN organizations um, say is that when you come, if you have a woman in front of you, she's in her 40s and you have excluded all all other types of maybe illness or any other sort of problems she can have, things that you can test, and she has perimenopausal symptoms, then surprise, surprise, she's perimenopausal. And then you treat the symptoms. <laughs> so... You, you can absolutely see if a woman has passed her menopause because then both the progesterone levels and the estrogen levels are sort of permanently low. But by that time, I mean, even, uh, even the most, uh, uh, e all women will understand that they're already there because they've, you know, been going through the transition for years. So for most women, they are frustrated that they can't test it early on. Right. And it doesn't seem like it's part of uh, just general practice. It would be uh, looking at your hormone levels to get a, a clear panel and to do it, because you probably have to do it on very specific days so you can you can get a very clear picture. It can't just be sporadically or whenever. Uh, and it seems like it's just not part of uh, basic women's health at the moment. When it when it comes to um, hormone replacement therapy, is this for everybody, or is this uh, just something that is um, supposed to be intended for a, a few? And if so, who who is this group uh, of women that that should go through hormone replacement therapy? In in your opinion, right now, well, basically, when it comes to hormonal re replacement therapy, it's I would say one size does not fit all. So I completely respect if a woman decides, no, I, I don't want to go down that route. For 
women who's had breast cancer previously and hormonal driven breast cancer, there are very few oncologists out there that would say that, okay, we got to prescribe you estrogen. I mean, they hardly don't exist. Um, there are a few, but they, their, their majority will say no, no hormones for you. Uh, except from that, I think what I try to tell women is that knowledge is power. So I encourage women to read up, listen to podcasts, watch webinars, get as much as lot of knowledge as they possibly can. If they're interested in reading studies, read studies. Just because it's so important that we women make this decision for ourselves. It's our bodies. You're going to live in your body for the rest of your life. And you have to take that and make that choice for yourself. So I, I try to be as neutral as possible when people ask me about HRT. The studies that are out there today do point in a direction that women on HRT, um, they run a 10% lower risk of, of dying early, prematurely. Uh, we can see that HRT gives uh, protection against osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, dementia, um, and also um, uh, some forms of cancer. But for those women who are listening now who can feel really sad because maybe they, they can't go on HRT, I have to also just add that so does exercise and training. So if, if you choose not to go on HRT or you can't because your doctor tells you no, uh, then I would say that you can do those, you can lower the risk with your lifestyle choices too. The difference will be that it, the, I tried to explain it um, in this way, that if you have two women, they are the same age, both have perimenopausal symptoms uh, that are bothersome and we, they're in the middle of life, they're around 45, and they have death up here. And then you have the woman who chooses to take HRT. Her way through life until death is like a motorway. It's wide and it's, you know, straight and wide. And this woman over here who either chooses or cannot take HRT, she also has a straight road from where she is to death. But it's not a motorway. It's, I don't know what you call them in the US, but it's more narrow way. You don't yeah, it's have. A, it's a just a little, uh, it's, it's a little back road. Uh, it's, a little back, it's a little back road, right? So yeah. you don't have as much leeway of steering right and left. You really have to stay on the straight and narrow. Uh, and that's what I mean with the lifestyle choices. You can't get away with drinking a lot of alcohol, uh, staying up late. Uh, not looking looking uh, out for you know having a, a good varied diet or doing the right type of exercise where whether as the woman who takes hrt that is not a quick fix she still needs to get her lifestyle choices in order but she does have just a slightly bit more leeway than the woman without hormones mm -hmm. yeah i can totally see that and what what i would like to 
uh, ask you now about uh, hormone replacement therapy is um, what does it, if you were to go through hormone replacement therapy, how long do you do this for? Is it the rest of your life? Is it throughout a certain period of time? What kind of hormones? Uh, I mean, there are synthetic ones. There are bioidentical ones. Uh, yeah. How, how does one go about this and, and what does it look like? What does the now the arc of hormone replacement therapy look like if you were to go down that path? Yeah. Well, if you have uh, a well uh, a well studied uh, uh, OBGYN, then uh, he or she might even put you on progesterone early in perimenopause. For example, if you experience a lot of migraine attacks, if you experience a lot of bleeding or a lot of difficult premenstrual uh, symptoms. Uh, but uh, more common is that they won't put you on hormones until you've come a bit further on your journey. And then normally the symptoms have uh, become more. And, and some of those symptoms, for example, some of the more, more common symptoms is it's brain fog. Brain fog is when, when, when you, uh, you can lose words, you can lose sentences, you can lose names. Uh, your brain feels as if it can't really find the right place where you put that knowledge. It's like you're, you're lost in your own head. That's the best way of sort of describing it. Then your thought processes can be experienced as being much slower. Um, something else that's really common is the aches and pains. And it's the type of aches and pains that come from nowhere. So for women who trains, for example, um, you haven't changed anything in your exercise schedule. You haven't um, increased the intensity or the frequency or the duration. Or if you're a runner, you haven't changed shoes or distance, et cetera, et cetera. These are aches and pains that comes from nowhere. Uh, also, for exercise, for training women, we can also notice that the recovery time is suddenly uh, not one day, not two days, not three days, but sometimes even after four days, we can still feel this really uncomfortable feeling in our body. Um, something else could be dry, uh, dry skin, dry mouth. We can lose a lot of hair. It could be those heart palpitations that I talked about before. It could be a lack of confidence. So those are just a number of symptoms. So um, in in Sweden, for example, it's, it's quite tragic because the only sort of official symptoms that doctors talk about here are the hot flashes, the night sweats, and the dry, dry mucus membrane, dry mucus membranes. Um, yeah. and that's it. Um, and basically women need to have one or all of those three to have, uh, hormonal replacement therapy. It's, it's crazy. It's slightly easier in, in the States. Okay. And then normally then, um, uh, you would, would have estrogen in some form, and then you would have some kind of progesterone. So you have the synthetic hormones and you have the uh, uh, bioidentical or body identical. And this is a bit confusing, especially in, in the US because you have slightly different systems. So you have the estrogen. The estrogen is, is normally what we call bioidentical or body identical, right? So you don't have to worry so much about the estrogen being uh, body identical. What does that even mean? So bioidentical or body identical is when 
the hormone that you put in your body is exactly um, similar or exact the same kind of molecule structure as the hormones that your body can produce itself. Why it's confusing with the body identical and bioidentical is because in, in the US you have pharmacies that can compound hormones, right? And it means that the pharmacy itself will put together uh, the hormones that you take from a doctor's recipe. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, in the US you call those bioidentical, right? And the critique against the bioidentical hormones in the US is that they are not produced in the laboratory. So the critique is, okay, how do you know you get the right quantity, the right quality, and it's not produced in a sterile environment? So then to confuse the issue, you have what's called body identical hormones, which are produced in a lab just like synthetical hormones, uh, but they are like big pharma products. So they are under a certain regulation, which means they need to keep a certain quality um, to be able to, to be sold. Uh -huh. And as you were saying before, um, if you take estrogen, estrogen is an uh, anabolic uh, hormone. So estrogen will grow breast tissue and it will also uh, grow endometrial tissue uh, in the womb. Uh, and if you have unlimited growth, that is not good because that increases the likelihood of cancer. So if you take estrogen, you need to take progesterone or progestin. Progestin is the synthetical version of progesterone. Uh, and that is to protect the uterus lining so that that doesn't get too thickened, uh, which then could increase the, the risk of, of cancer. So just to give you an idea of different combinations, um, a woman could have, um, I think you call it an um, uterine device. In Swedish, it's called spiral. Hormonal, okay. uh, it's, it's what you insert uh, into uh, into the womb to uh, make sure that a, a woman do doesn't get uh, pregnant. Okay, okay, yes, yes, yes. I know the Swedish word. Uh, I'm sure the women listening ca can help you. I think it may be IUD. Oh, yes, okay. IUD. Yeah. IUD, yes. IUD uh, in English, that's right. So uh -huh. she can have an IUD. And if she, ha she has that, then her uterine line, uh, lining is protected. So she can then just add estrogen as a patch or a gel or a spray through the skin. And the advantage with adding estrogen through the skin is that it doesn't come with any risk uh, of, um, of stroke. Because if you eat uh, the estrogen in a tablet form, and we know this from from um, the birth control pill, um, you have a, a slightly higher uh, likelihood for um, uh, thromb thrombosis. Is that what you, mm -hmm. how you say it? Yeah, thrombosis. Yep. Um, and when you take the estrogen through the skin, you do not have that risk. So you can have this type of combination. Or you take it, through a tablet and normally then the tablet contains both the estrogen and a progestin 
So the synthetical version of progesterone. And the third and, uh, one would be then that you apply estrogen through the skin and then you take a progesterone tablet, which is then the body identical version of progesterone. Now, this is the thing. Both the IUD and the progestin and the progesterone protects the uterine lining from growing too thick. Uh, but only the body identical progesterone can then act on other parts of the body, such as the brain, the skeleton, mm -hmm. and the heart. And in those places, uh, progesterone have advantages that progestin does not have. Also, one of the most common, it's one out of 10 women, they can develop uh, actually depression through progestin. We have to still remember that nine out of 10 do not do that. They feel fine, so they don't have a problem. So I don't want to scare anybody. But but that is, that is a, a reality that um, it can really affect mood and it can also affect uh, uh, libido uh, and, and motivational drive negatively. Again, does not have to do that. There are plenty, thousands of women out there that, that uses the IUD or takes the pill and they feel absolutely fine. So I would say that this is another area where it's so important that us women have the knowledge to empower ourselves to make decisions about our own bodies so that at least the decisions that we make are uh, are coming from knowledge, not from something that we, we read from an influencer on social media, but deeper knowledge than that. Because to answer your next question, when do you start and for how long do you take hormones? So one, you start when the symptoms are there. Two, previously, uh, there were sort of guidelines that said you can take hormones for five years and then you should stop. Now that five-year rule has been, uh, has been uh, taken away. So basically, it should be an individual choice and uh, your doctor should be able to have that conversation with you since we do know which types of protection that estrogen uh, can, can give. Uh, so if you are a woman who eats healthy, who exercises, who is interesting, interested in her, her own health, um, and you then decide that, well, what I know from hormones, I want to take hormones for the rest of my life because uh, I know that they will give me a certain advantage uh, that I won't have if I don't take them. Uh, last thing is women also need testosterone uh, to feel uh, good, both physically and mentally. And just as men have, bo have both testosterone, estrogen and progesterone, women have estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. With testosterone though, yes, for some women, we can notice a really steep decline throughout menopause and after. And for some women, the testosterone level is just sort of staying fairly level and they don't not notice a shift. Mm. So different types of symptoms of being low on testosterone for women. I mean, what most people think about is libido. 
and yes, libido, libido can be affected with, with low testosterone also on women. But more so, and also for, for uh, women who do a lot of training, uh, absolutely, it does help, of course, to protecting muscle mass and to building muscle mass. Testosterone also helps us to recover from hard training. Um, but more importantly, I think, is also how it affects our brains. So I, I normally say testosterone is not only a sex drive hormone. Testosterone also drives motivational. It drives you to start projects, to finish projects, to be adventurous, to dare to say yes, and to have that really last spark of life. And normally what happens is that if a woman starts estrogen uh, and some kind of progesterone uh, replacement therapy, she will nine times out of 10 feel like she has her old self back and mm. it will be such a revelation for her and she's like oh my god welcome back and then some women wow. will notice after a few months that okay i am back more or less 100 percent, but there's one piece of the puzzle still missing and uh, difficult to, to to test estrogen and progesterone but easier to test testosterone because mm, it's testosterone so? because testosterone levels they don't dip in the dramatic way that estrogen and progesterone does it's more this slow de decline uh, so testosterone you can actually test and there there are several ways to test it you can uh, test the the free uh, amount of testosterone in blood you can test the the total amount of t testosterone and, and it's really a little bit depending on what kind of blood test you do but you will have a reference value and if you're way outside of that you can actually then also get body identical testosterone uh, prescribed mm. yeah fascinating there's so much information here i feel like i'm i'm sitting in this like power lecture right now and i'm learning so much and, and self selfishly it's it's interesting for me as uh, a man, because I'm I'm a person who's also surrounded by I want to say 85 to 90 percent of the people that I'm surrounded by are women, and uh, I would say 90 percent of the people that I work with are women, and um, and those who are in in my age group, 40 and up, I have started to notice uh, certain uh, conversations that I've been having where they've been expressing that something is going on. But uh, uh, never is there a conversation about uh, being perimenopausal, and I don't feel like I'm in a position to say, you could be perimenopausal right now. But uh, just hearing you speak, I think this is something that is is bringing uh, a great amount of awareness, and there's a lot uh, to uncover here. And we've only talked about hormone replacement therapy right now. There's also lifestyle. And I would like to talk about lifestyle leading up to menopause, during the arc of menopause and later. What is it that you have discovered um, that has has been in, uh, something that you feel like, okay, this is something that we all need to become aware of when it comes to lifestyle? And uh, of course, granted the obvious, uh, sleeping, eating, exercising. Uh, yeah, what is it that you've seen in lifestyle that especially for women have to be uh, addressed, monitored, managed? I would say uh, 
my go-to pointers would be if, if you're listening to this and you're either coaching or you are a woman in your thirties, number one is build as much muscle mass as you possibly can. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, while you have those hormones on your side, go for it. And uh, so. Um, this is really something that I see a huge difference with uh, women who have the habit of strength training when they hit perimenopause. It doesn't mean that they won't get any symptoms. It doesn't mean even that the symptoms, the symptoms can still be really harsh on her, but she will have such a huge advantage towards women who have never set a foot in a gym before. So that, I would say that is really a number one. Uh, number two, figure out what your best stress relief techniques are and, and find a regular habit in those, whether those are yoga or meditation or breathing exercises. And the third, third part I would say is learn how to prioritize uh, in life, at work, in relationships, in friendships, uh, in, in the way that if you get your ducks in a row before uh, you, you enter your, your 40s, that you will, and if you then enter your 40s also with some knowledge about perimenopause, then you will be all set because we there, there is actually studies out there that show that women with more knowledge about perimenopause, they will um, not, of course, it's, it's self-explanatory. They will not experience as much of anxiety and so much worry that women who do not have this, this knowledge and try to get that knowledge in the midst of, of, of brain fog. Um, if you are a woman in your 40s, um, and you have already started to experience symptoms. So again, knowledge is there at the top because once you get the knowledge, you also understand uh, that, oh my God, that could also be a perimenopausal symptom. And I just want to say, if somebody's sitting, listening and thinking, Jesus Christ, is it really true? It sounds like everything could be assigned to our hormones. And then, that, then my answer is yes. Everything could because hormones is what makes us us and the person we are and our personality will affect our hormones. So it's all, it's all there, uh, in this big, uh, big, uh, crazy, I don't know what to call it. It's all mixed together in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so knowledge, uh, keep doing your strength training routine. Now, when I give this, uh, the, the advice I give now is particularly for those women, of course, who have symptoms. I mean, there is a very small percentage of women that will not experience any symptoms at, at all. They can train like before they can live like before. I mean, they don't have to make any changes. So all the, the all the, the, the tips I give now is obviously for, for women who do experience, uh, symptoms. Um, so keep doing your strength training. If you have started to notice that your, your training results, um, 
are are starting to suffer. And you even start to experience this horrible feeling of going backwards in your in your training. Then really uh, set your foot on the brake fairly fast. And with that, I mean, really look over, okay, what can I do? Can I, should I start decreasing the intensity first? Should I uh, look at uh, lessening the duration of my training session? So those two I would look at first and then look at the frequency. Okay, if I'm one who do five to six uh, sessions a week, do I need to pull that down to maybe four at least first and then maybe three and make sure that you do have a training slash perimenopausal diary that you can log symptoms and that where you can also log your uh, irregular menstrual cycle and what happens when you do different interventions because a lot of the time the this type of experience will come together with a worsening of the sleep pattern and that means if you train harder and you try to push through this phase, which a lot of women tend to do because a lot of women also then experience fairly rapid weight gain during uh. this time, which puts so many women into a frenzied panic and they try to attack that involuntary weight gain as they did in the 30s, which would mean eating less. And exercising more. Yeah. Now so we have to re restriction and then go hard in the gym. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right. And they did that. They might have done that in their 30s and that worked. So they worked out harder for a month. They ate less and, and the body answered to that. Not so much in perimenopause. So what's going to happen if you do that? You are just going to make matters worse. Right. Because we have to understand that. Being in perimenopause is a t kind of stress state for your body as it is with this hormonal chaos that that's going on. If you then add insomnia, bad sleep on top of that and calor uh, caloric restriction and high intensity training, it's a downward spiral from there. What I find with a lot of my female clients who are runners is that running and hard uh, cardiovascular training increases symptoms with those who already experience symptoms because that for many women drives cortisol, right? So when I say strength training, I'm thinking actually traditional strength training. We're talking like work one set have a break work mm -hmm. set number two have a break so even though we know that high intensity interval training has many many advantages that is not the type of training to throw in the mix if you if you are starting to if you started with mild symptoms that then went into medium symptoms then a lot of women get even more stressed so they try to try you know train even harder and then they go to the next stage, which is severe symptoms. So traditional strength training, make sure you get uh, your sleep corrected and then stress management. So I, I normally talk about those three S's as being crucial. Strength training, stress management and sleep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, key key lifestyle components. Yeah. And now, when when it comes to um, diet and food, is there anything in terms of um, uh, diet that you should be thinking about when you're when you're entering uh, menopause? Is there anything that you should be changing or? Uh, should you just continue to try to eat as healthy as possible, whatever that uh, may mean? Yeah, I would, I would say that for 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 most women, absolutely, just continue to eat at health as healthy as possible. And uh, I'm I'm a big believer of adding, focusing more. What can I add than what can I deduct or exclude? Right. It is important to know that when we're talking about really fast carbohydrates, um, the the body will find it a little bit more difficult to deal with those. But then again, we I'm talking now about highly so, processed yeah. foods. So, and like, so you're saying like something sugars. that has like a high glycemic index, uh, <laughs> that's something that you're going to really struggle to process and it's probably not going to be good for your hormone regulation. Because... Estrogen is an antagonist to cortisol and insulin. So as the the estrogen levels decrease, we also notice that women need to then um, produce and use more insulin to get the, the glucose into the working cells. So yeah, when it comes to the glucose metabolism, we are a little bit more sensitive. I'm not somebody who talk about uh, uh, low carb, high, you know, high fat L L L C H F as we call it in Sweden. Because also, if you are a woman who exercises and has a history of exercising hard and been training your entire life, I absolutely believe that carbohydrates have have a place on the plates, right? I want to focus more about what can I add, and I'm sure you have the same experience with this, that women who are not professionally into exercise, health, and diet eat far too little protein. So I'd rather focus on getting the message out there that there are great studies out there now on both women in menopause, but also women's aging in general, that we need to look at 1.6 gram protein per kilo body uh, body weight per day. Uh, and most of the women, absolute majority of, of the women that I meet and work with, don't even come close to that. So mm-hmm. so uh, increase the, the protein intake. Yeah, um, and, and is that protein source um, any any protein source? Because uh, if people are plant-based, for example, they're going to be looking uh, for protein that's maybe uh, less, um, I guess it's called bioavailable, meaning that you, you don't process it necessarily. Uh, it, do, you, do you know anything on this topic? Well, actually... The uh, techn- technology of uh, of uh, putting together different protein powders and stuff has become so much better. So if you are plant-based, I know for sure in the U.S. there are some plant-based proteins that are now in studies so far has shown uh, to give the same kind of results as a- um, animal-based protein. Having said that, that is protein powder. 
So if we talk about actual food that we eat, it's absolutely possible to get that 1.6 gram of protein per kilo body weight uh, through a plant-based diet. However, the challenge for plant-based uh, eaters is that if you're going to eat 1.6 gram of protein from a plant-based diet, it's difficult. You can do it, but it's difficult to do it without overeating the number of calories. Mm-hmm. So because the, back- the, 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 yeah, the protein density basically is not there. And in addition to that, you're probably going to want to combine it with something that tastes good. And then you're adding some kind of sauce and that is just going to, uh, yeah, uh, increase so that your is, calorie that intake. Is, exactly. So that is not impossible. I'm just saying that it's a challenge and it's uh-huh. a challenge to do that day in, day out. So I would say if you are completely plant-based, I, I would guesstimate that you would also need to use a good protein shake protein powder uh, to be able to hit your your protein target but not overeating in calories so that's a little bit trickier uh, unless you're an omnivore i would say uh-huh yeah and now going into training and we're we're kind of getting coming to the end of our time here and i i feel like we're gonna have to do an, another uh, session because I, I learned so much and I, I know everybody listening is is uh, getting a lot from this. Uh, but when it comes to training, uh, you've just written a book um, kind of recently, which is uh, about training uh, in your 50s or after your 50s. What what, what was uh, that book uh, really trying to say and, and uh, how has it been received? Well, I'm really happy to say it's been, it's been, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm actually quite surprised that it was that well received because nobody had talked about menopause before uh, in Sweden. Nobody had lifted the subject and, and nobody had uh, talked about it in, in the sense of uh, how what, what can we do with lifestyle, uh, lifestyle choices. I mean, we have to remember that uh, women born in the 1970s, we are the first generation of women in menopause who have been training uh, our entire adult lives. And we are also the first generation of women who a a lot of us have been strength training more or less our entire adult lives. So if it's difficult to get money to do research on women, it's almost impossible to get money to make research on women who wants to optimize their health, right? It's difficult enough to get it on, on women's illnesses. So we are a little bit of the guinea pig generation, I would say. So from what I've learned from reading studies and from working as a trainer and a coach since, since the beginning of the 1990s, um, I would say, again, we know keeping and building muscle mass for the rest of our life, uh, making sure, of course, that we have a healthy heart uh, and uh, and and not lose too much of our VO2 max. Uh, but I try to encourage my clients to think about their 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 training as in what I call the holy training pyramid, which has equal sides. And each corner is re- represented by strength, cardio, and mobility. 
and you need all three corners and equal amount in these corners to have to live a healthy, fulfilled and independent life up into old age. And really the only thing that changes when you enter perimenopause is that the holy triangle becomes a, a square, a square with equal sides. Because the fourth corner that is very apparent for, for women plus 45 is that the fourth corner is recovery. And that corner is equal the size as the other three corners. So mm -hmm. I would really try to encourage women, uh, and especially those of your listeners who, who have been active their entire lives. I want to say that if you experience medium to, to difficult symptoms throughout uh, the, your menopausal transition, there might be uh, months, sometimes depending on how big changes you make. For some women, if you don't make big changes enough, it might be years where you really have to restructure your training schedule. And here we go, come back to the HRT, the hormonal replacement theory, uh, therapy, because for women going on HRT, it will actually speed up the process of where they find themselves in some kind of balance again, going back to what they felt like before. So that process will be slower if you don't take HRT. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, so I say this as a, as a woman who'd been training her whole life uh, myself is that there's so much frustration during this part of the journey. There's a whole lot of uh, identity crisis. Is this the way it's going to be now? Is this what it feels like getting old? Do I just need to get used to feeling like crap and not being able to lift heavy, run fast, jump high or whatever it is. And I just want to say, once you get over on the other side, either with your life, uh, lifestyle choices, interventions, or HRT, you're going to be back. The full you is going to be back and you will set new PRs. You will run fast again. You will jump high again. You will lift heavy again. So, so, so you know, life has not come to an end. <laughs> That's beautiful. I guess I, I, I can't help but ask this. Have you been receiving any pushback for from uh, this that you've been sharing? Because you're, you're very vocal online and you're very public and you, you're, you're also on, on television um, in, in Sweden. Yeah, have you received any pushback? Are, are medical doctors saying, hey, uh, calm down, Monica Bjorn? Not to my face. I haven't really had anyone to my face. I've had um, one other male influencer here in Sweden who um, who said that there isn't that big a difference between men and women. And you cannot say that women in perimenopause need to train differently from fertile women or from men because a muscle is a muscle and it grows in uh, when when you stress it more more or less something like that which is true of course i mean strength training is still 
strength training and the cardio training is still cardio training. And that's, and, and that was like sort of missing the point because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the way you program a woman with perimenopausal symptoms. She cannot be programmed exactly the way you would program a 25-year-old fertile woman in her strongest years. Because when you have the knowledge of what symptoms you can have and how they can affect you and how they affect uh, building muscle, keeping muscle, and for a muscle to recover, uh, you understand that you as a coach and a trainer trainer will absolutely need to use your full tool bag in you know being on your toes in how you can support her the best way throughout this journey so as a coach when you you you, you might uh, make a, a training schedule for a client for the next coming you know 12 weeks for example uh, and when you work with a per perimenopausal woman you have to look at it from week to week because you never know how has she slept uh, how is her mental state? Has she experienced any new symptoms? Do we need so that that can easily be one step back and two, two, one step forward and two steps back? Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to pushback from the medical community, I've had um, one or two actually female doctors emailing me and saying that I should stay in my lane and talk about yoga and strength training, but not about uh, the menopause. Um, you know, uh, I was I was actually expecting more pushback i'm not interesting i i don't uh, uh spend so much time on that because i feel really calm uh in the knowledge that i have uh, as well as the knowledge that i don't have because as we all know when you start to su study a subject uh, you also understand how much you don't know and i also understand how much i don't know because there's a lack of funding for research in this area but I also know that I've spent more or less all my free time uh, in the last five years to to dig really, really deep in the subject, speaking to experts and interv interviewing experts. So um, I feel fairly calm mm -hmm. and content. And yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. And your your confidence is infectious, and uh, everything that you're saying uh, is backed up by a lot of uh, research and work that you've done. Uh, in addition to you're not only working with people, uh, with clients, you're also out in the world uh, doing public speaking and connecting with people. And you probably connect with them, not only uh, you projecting onto them your your knowledge, but also uh, getting to meet to them later and, and talk to them. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot there and a lot that, uh, a lot of evidence, I think, that points to uh, your work being extremely important at this moment. Um, what's your call to action? What's the, the thing we should, we should all, not only women, but men uh, as a society, what is it that we should be, um, doing better, different? What should we be aware of, uh, in addition to all of the information that you just shared with me today? Well, I would say I would actually use the tagline that I use a lot on my social media because it really hits home and it's that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, no matter if you're a coach. No matter if you're a woman, somebody who lives with a woman, works with a woman, know a woman, and sharing is caring. So once you get that knowledge, you have to pass it on and you have to spread the knowledge because the situation where, where we are at right now, uh, if we don't change it now, 
in, you know, 30 years, 35, 40 odd years, the next generation's daughters will be perimenopausal. And I really hope that the work that I do and, and other, we call ourselves uh, menopausal activists, the work that we do in spreading knowledge, we have the chance now to really get it out much thanks to social media and social media and podcasts like this. Uh, so we have a chance to make a difference. Knowledge is power and sharing is caring. Wonderful. Where can people uh, learn more about you, follow you, or support um, you? So um, my Instagram handle is my name, Monica Bjorn. I'm sure you're going to put that in the I'll in put the that captions. in the description, yeah. Uh, and uh, my my account for menopausal questions and, and knowledge is Stark Genoklimakteriet. It is in Swedish now, but it's really easy. Just hit the translate translation button. And you have hundreds and hundreds of, of posts there where I share everything that I've learned about menopause um, and uh, how to, uh, you know, alleviate symptoms and about HRT and everything else. Amazing. Monica, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for our next coffee uh, in Göteborg. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is the Freestyle Way. Yeah.